going to be doing a little bit of bouncing around, so perhaps turn with me first to Matthew uh, chapter 12, verses 33 to 37. Uh, turn there first and just stick a service sheet or a thumb in there first of all so Matthew chapter 12 verses 33 to 37 which is page 978 and once you're there uh, like I said stick a service sheet in or your thumb and then flick forwards to Proverbs chapter 18 where we'll be reading from verses 4 to 8 and verse 13 and verse 21 like I said a little bit of jumping around So that's Proverbs chapter 18, verses 4 to 8, verse 13, and verse 21. um, And that's on page 653, 653. Great. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 4 to 8, verse 13, and verses 21. The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. It is not good to be partial to the wicked and so deprive the innocent of justice. The lips of fools brings them strife and their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing and their lips are a snare to their very lives. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Verse 13. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And then... Further back to Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. This is God's word. Good morning and a very warm welcome if you're joining us for the first time this morning. My name's Phil, I'm the Associate Minister here and it's lovely to be with you this morning, having been away for a couple of weeks and to be getting us back into Proverbs. Let me pray and then we'll um, bounce around a bit as we look at speech together. Father God, would the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, I'm sure we all know the childhood rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. But it's absolute bobbins, of course. I mean, words have enormous power, don't they? 
And think of, think of the impact on your life of two little words. The words I do in the right context can change your whole life. One word, guilty. I don't think I realised uh, how important it was to learn to speak wisely until I had my first proper job interview. Uh, just over in the, in the city of London, it was with a, um, a law firm, quite a traditional law firm. There were two senior partners in this very dark conference room wearing very dark suits with very dark sober ties and very dark expressions on their face. And we spent an hour going through uh, very confusing legal things as I tried to um, not expose my ignorance. And we got towards the end of the interview and they turned to the, um, the kind of... The, the human resources department list of questions rather than the legal questions, which they, which they now, of course, have to ask. And this uh, very serious, sober senior partner looked at me and said, and what would you say is your worst quality? And I didn't think. I just responded with the first thing that came out of my mind, which was answering stupid questions. <laughs> have you ever had that feeling of reaching for the words as they've gone out of your mouth and realising that, no, 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 they've gone now? Thank you for giving us your time. You can collect your jacket on the way out of the room. Words matter. Words matter. And your life is not going to go well unless and until you learn to speak wisely. It's very interesting. We're in Proverbs. Uh, so Proverbs, um, just to, to orientate you if, we, if you've not been with us, it's all about wisdom. And wisdom is learning to live well in the light of reality. Learning to understand the reality of the world and live along the grain of reality. That's why we're told again and again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because the most fundamental reality in the whole cosmos is the existence of the God of the Bible. And after wisdom and folly, the most common theme in the whole book of Proverbs is speech. How we speak is integral to living well. Now, you can see uh, in chapter 12, if you want to flick up chapter 12, we're going to be flicking around a bit. It's, you, it's up to you whether you um, follow with this. I'll, I'll read out the verses I refer to, and I've put them on the sheet so you can, you can check with us afterwards. Uh, usually, we just work through one passage. It's much easier to see what's going on, and it, it just follows with the Bible's own priority list. Um, every now and then, we, we look at things a bit more thematically. And just for this week in Proverbs, rather than working through a section, we're, we're working through a theme that appears uh, in bits throughout Proverbs, and that is speech. And so if you turn to 12 verse 18 on page uh, 646, we read that words can either wound or heal. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That is to say, your words can cut like a sword. You know, once you've said something, you can't take it back. Just as if you stick your sword in somebody, you can say, oh my goodness, I am so sorry, I didn't really mean to do that. You can apologise all you like, but they're still going to bleed. And even if they heal, there'll be a scar forever. Words are like that. We think that words, they're just so ephemeral, they just disappear. But they don't. They have an impact. I guess these days, actually, with so many of our words being recorded online, we're more aware of that. But wounding words, they pierce like a sword. They do real damage. You look at the effect it has on someone. Imagine a child who's always told, you're stupid. You really are ugly. 
you're a complete waste of space. What do you think that will do to the child as they grow up? Those words will shape them. Toxic words seep into us. They pollute our self-image and our relationships. You see, I mean, you learn at the beginning of the Bible that God's words create reality. Our words aren't quite like that. But actually, there is a sense in which all of our words, they do more than describe. They create. They create. Uh, Proverbs 18 goes even further than, uh, than chapter 12. We're told in 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Our words have the power of life and death. It is possible to do irreparable harm to somebody with our words. It's possible to do irreparable damage to a relationship with your words. As a church, we've got um, strong links with Rwanda for all sorts of historical reasons, and I had the privilege of going out there to help teach at a Bible college in Rwanda that we're linked to. And before I went, I was given a load of reading. They said, here, look, just get to know something of the background of Rwanda, and especially, of course, of the formative experience of modern Rwanda, the, the, the horrific 1994 genocide. What I hadn't realized until I read was the, um, was the formative impact of the radio station RTMC had on the genocides. A million Tutsis were hacked to death over the course of just 100 days by people they lived with. It wasn't an invading army. It was their neighbors, their friends, even distant family members in some cases. But this radio station had spent two years, this Hutu radio station, demonizing the Tutsi population, teaching them to see them. They are parasites. They are the reason you're poor. They are problems. They are cockroaches. Gradually, over the years, these words, they created amongst the Hutu population a way of viewing their neighbours which made them less than human, made them see them as something to be got rid of. And so when the call to take up the machetes came, the words had prepared the ground. Words have enormous power. Now, the words don't only have power on those who are spoken to, but also on the speaker. Chapter 18, 21 doesn't just say that uh, words have the power of life and death, but those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, we live with the consequences of what we say. How we speak, you'll live with, as I found out to my cost. We can damage ourselves with foolish words. Uh, So just a a couple of pages back, chapter 18, verse 7. The mouth of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. Or 23, and verse 13. Do not withhold discipline. That's the wrong, that is a a very useful um, verse, but it's the wrong one. Excuse me, I've just got the wrong reference down there. But we damage ourselves. If you're foolish in how you speak, well, you'll you'll live with the fruit of it. You will find your life suffers. Of course, the flip side is that positive words have enormous power to heal and bring life. Uh, So back in chapter 16 and verse 24, there's a fabulous verse. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. 
You see, we need to do more than just hear good words, uh, speak good words. We also need to hear good words spoken to us. There's this um, idea in pop psychology that the only opinion that matters is your own. You don't need anybody else to say anything or do anything. Uh, the, the Barbie movie, at the centre of it, there's the, the, the line, Ken, you just need to be Kenough. You know, stop, stop defining yourselves by what, what Barbie says to you or, or, or what other people think of you. Just be your own man. Yeah, there's a half-truth wrapped up in some pop psychology there. But actually, none of us can just cut ourselves off from everybody else. None of us can grow healthy if nobody ever speaks an affirming word to us. All of us need to be told, look, I love you. I believe in you. You really can do it. You've done a good job. If nobody ever speaks those words to you, it's very hard to grow healthy. We need to be encouraged, affirmed, corrected, told off, forgiven. All of us need to be spoken to. Good words heal and build us. Now, the extraordinary thing is that you, sitting here this morning, you can speak words that bring life to the dead. The gospel, the message of Jesus, it's called in Philippians 2.16, the word of life. And as we speak those gospel words, as you tell people about Jesus, you can bring the dead to life. It's an amazing power that God has entrusted to us as humans. Telling them about the forgiveness that comes through Jesus, the eternal life through the one who has risen from the grave. I think Christians can often look on evangelism, telling others about Jesus as a chore. And if you're a non-Christian, you might be fed up with, why can't they just leave me alone to believe their thing and leave me to believe my thing? Why do they have to keep on battering on about Jesus? Why do they have to keep telling me about him? Well, because actually it's the most wonderful thing in the world. The words about Jesus bring the dead to life. So we need to get over this. I think for many of us, there's a kind of secret dread when the church says there's a guest event coming or uh, like we did with the coronation, we're going out to, to speak to the crowds to tell them about Jesus. But actually, it's an incredible privilege. Words, ordinary words spoken by ordinary people, when they're about the extraordinary Jesus, they can bring the dead to life. That's the power of words. They can harm and they can kill, they can heal, and they can even bring life. Now, given the power of words, it shouldn't be surprising that there's a huge amount about how to speak wisely in Proverbs. I've tried to distill just four key principles for us this morning, which we'll work through relatively quickly. Now, it is worth saying before we get in there that uh, God in his wisdom has given us all two ears and one mouth. Two ears and one mouth, and that should give some indication of the most fundamental principle, which is one of the wisest things we can do is to shut up. But let's think about when we do actually get to speak. Uh, Four things. Firstly, our words should be true and not deceptive. Our words should be true and not deceptive. Let's turn back to chapter 12. Chapter 12 on page 646, verse 19 and then verse 22. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. Verse 22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. There are a ton of proverbs about truth, which should be no great surprise because God is not just a God who says true things. He is truth. All truth comes from him. All truth is God's truth in that sense. And as such, if you're a Christian, you need to be a person marked by truth. The devil is the father of lies. If you're a Christian then your speech needs to be marked by truth. 
But there's another reason to tell the truth, and that is that lies destroy relationships. When we lie, you deny somebody the right to know you as you really are, and actually you destroy the relationship. Every lie creates two realities in a relationship. There's the reality that the person you've lied to lives in, believing your lie, and there's the reality you live in where you know the truth. And every time we tell a lie, we push apart those two worlds, the world they live in, which we've created with our lie, and the world we live in where we know what the truth is. Every lie builds a barrier. Every lie separates our world from the world of the person we're lying to. So you can never have a rich, deep relationship with someone if you habitually lie to them. doesn't matter whether it's friendship, marriage, what. You damage the relationship when you lie. You stop living in the real world, the same world. Now, people often, I think, struggle with the Old Testament. They, they say, it should be, how can you have this book that's supposedly the good book, God's book, when it's full of uh, God's people having lots of li- wives, committing murder and lying, lying and lying again? But actually, that's half the point. The Old Testament is a case study in how big a mess we make when we ignore God's ways and we sin. And there are large chunks of the Old Testament which effectively show you how stupid it is to lie. The whole life story of Jacob is an object lesson in what a mess you make when you deceive and you lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. Our words should be true and they should not be deceptive. That's why 1613 tells us kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. Secondly, our words should be kind and not cutting. Now, here is the check that stops uh, a commitment to truth becoming brutal. Chapter 15 and verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, we hear the word gentle, we think weak, namby-pamby, mealy-mouthed, sort of afraid to actually say things as they are. But then we read chapter 25 and verse 15. This, I think, is an amazing verse. Chapter 25, verse 15. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded, and a gentle tongue can break a bone. A gentle tongue can break a bone. That is not some weird biblical version of kung fu. You can, you know, it's, it's nothing like that. It's just saying gentle words are not weak. They have enormous power. Don't think you have to be harsh and brutal and shouty to be effective. Even the mightiest person on earth, a king, their resistance can be broken down by gentle speech. Gentle is not pathetic. Kind and gentle words can be pointed and argumentative when necessary. But the difference lies in the motivation. The second half of 15.1, look at what it says. A harsh word stirs up anger. Gentle is contrasted with harsh. The the Hebrew word for harsh means designed to hurt. Designed to hurt. So our words must not be designed to inflict pain on other people. To cut them, put them down, belittle them, humiliate them. So when we have to say something we know will be painful, a difficult truth... I have to raise in myself the question, am I saying this because I care about them 
are because I quite enjoy the power of hurting. It should actually hurt me more than them. If I know I've got to say something that might be painful, if my heart is right, it'll hurt me at least as much as it hurts them to say it. Because the aim is, I'm motivated by doing you good, not doing you harm. Our words should be kind, not cutting. Thirdly, our words should be courageous, not flattery or gossip. There's an awful lot in, the, in Proverbs about being courageous in speech. We're not to flatter. Turn with me to 16.13. We're not to tell people what they want to hear. Chapter 16, verse 13. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value the one who speaks what is right. Or towards the end of Proverbs, chapter 28 and verse 23. Whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than one who has a flattering tongue. Actually, it's the same principle as before. What's going on in my heart? When I flatter someone, who am I serving? Me. I'm saying nice things to you so that you will think better of me. I'm not serving you. I'm serving me. I'm motivated by a desire for my life to be good. And that's why once you stop being consumed with the desire to be liked, then you'll be liberated to serve others and speak honestly rather than just say what they want to hear. Now, the flip side of this is the courage not to speak, not to share gossip. You know, the link between flattery and gossip, they're basically the opposites. Flattery is when I say something to your face I would never say behind your back. And gossip is when I say something behind your back I would never say to your face. They're basically the opposites. Now, there are lots of proverbs about the danger of gossip, as you'd expect. Uh, 16 verse 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. 18 verse 8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Chapter 20 uh, and verse 19, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Striking, you notice, Proverbs, it's, they're designed to enable you to live in community. In our sort of atomized, individualistic world, we need to realize that actually true wisdom, where a life is well lived, requires you to know how to live in community, We're designed to be communal, dependent on one another in biological families and the family of God, the church, because God is a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The problem, of course, is that the more healthy your community, the better you know one another, the more opportunity there is for prayer concern slash gossip, depending on how Christian you're feeling. The more you know about one another, the greater the danger of gossip. And gossip destroys communities. This weird thing that gossip requires you to know each other, but nothing drives a wedge in a community like gossip in it. And so the question again comes down to motivation, my heart. Why am I sharing this? Do they really need to know it? Now, why do we gossip? Think back to the last time you gossiped. And let's be honest, do not pretend it takes long-term memory to do this. Think back to the last time you indulged in gossip. Why did you do it? Usually there's two reasons. One, I'm just a bit insecure and I want to be known as the person on the inside, the one who knows, the one on, who, who has valuable information to share. 
it's, I'm willing to sacrifice their reputation to serve me so that you know that I'm the person who knows. I have something juicy to share with you. The other reason we do it is because we so enjoy seeing them brought down a peg or two. I envy them or I dislike them, or I've got a grievance against them. And so, oh, how wonderful if I have the opportunity either to, to, tell my, to tell or to encourage somebody to tell me something that makes them brought down a little bit to where they belong beneath me. So we gossip. There is just something delicious about it. That's why chapter 18, verse 8, talks about it as a, a delicious morsel that goes down to the inmost parts. But it is utterly destructive. Gossip can destroy a church or a family. And so if you find yourself beginning to engage in a conversation with others about somebody that you would not want that person hearing, overhearing, or joining in with, you need to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Who is being served here? How is this an expression of love for the person we're talking about. And if I can't answer that positively, then, as the old phrase would have it, stint thy trap. A wonderful, wonderful phrase. Fourthly, our words should be considered and not careless. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 10, 19 is not the most encouraging proverb for someone whose job is speaking like mine. But the point is, look, given the power of words and the danger of words, you're going to struggle to, to be wise if you are speaking all the time. It's just really hard to remain wise and speak lots and lots and lots. Because you can't weigh your words, you can't consider your words, you can't think about your words if you're speaking all the time. Uh, look at uh, chapter 24, verse 26, and 25, 11. 24, verse 26, we read, An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong one, aren't I? Uh, 29, verse 20. It's the problem when you have loads of references and you're skating around. 29, verse 20, that's what we want. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There's more hope for a fool than for them. Wow. 17, verse 28, similarly we read, Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. You want people to think you're cleverer than you are? Say nothing. It's fantastic. Now there is a second side to this, which is that when we speak, we need to speak so that we're heard. So we need to consider... Being considered in how you speak is not just a question of how much you say. It's also a question of what you say. And this does bring us to 24.26. where we read. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Well, 25.11, similarly, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. Now that is actually, it's the only time, 24.26, that the Bible speaks about a kiss on the lips. It's not in Song of Songs, it's in Proverbs, interestingly. Uh, the, Herodotus is the, is the most helpful here. Um, I 
know Herodotus well enough as an ancient writer that I could just quote him regularly in sermons, but any of the commentaries will tell you when you look at a a passage like this that um, Herodotus writes, the the Greek sage writes, that in the ancient world, if you met someone who was slightly inferior to you, you might kiss them on the cheek. Uh, So if you um, met someone far beneath you, then they would bow to you and you would not touch them. But if you met someone at precisely your level, you would kiss them on the lips. You would, it would be an absolute equality of action. And so the proverb is saying, honest speech, it meets you exactly where you are. It fulfills what you need, what you want it. And so we need to, to speak in such a way that we meet people where they're at, so they understand us. Uh, Tim Keller, who, uh, the, the minister who died recently, um, remember him speaking on this uh, this verse and saying imagine a marriage where a wife and a husband come from families which communicate differently the wife comes from a family everything's blurted out big explosion and then all sorted let bygones be bygones you calm down quickly the husband comes from a family which is very different you don't you don't have expression you you just hint Things are a little bit more slow burning, you know. You don't say things explicitly. There's no, there's no big emotional outbursts. And then if they come to marriage and they both bring their own speech patterns to marriage, imagine what happens. She's shouting, I had absolutely no idea you felt like that. Why didn't you say it? He said, I did. I, I, a hint here, a comment there, a little raise of the eyebrow. I mean, what else was I supposed to do? He said it, but he didn't find her lips. So she says, why on earth are you packing your bags? He says, well, you said, get out. I didn't mean it. I was just angry. You need to learn to communicate, to meet one another's lips, to learn how others hear things. And the closer the relationship is, the closer a friendship or a family relationship is, the more important it is that you learn how the other hears. It's not enough to say, hey, look, I said it and it was true. I need to think, you know, you wouldn't speak in Swahili to someone who doesn't speak Swahili because they're not going to understand you. Same goes when you're speaking in the same language. You've got to learn to meet one another, a kiss on the lips. And if we get it right, it's apples of gold and settings of silver. When someone gets you and you get them, it's wonderful. When you reach this point, having worked through what the Proverbs of Speech say, it can be a bit condemning because the truth is none of us, none of us feel particularly encouraged by seeing the Bible standards of of speech. You think, golly, I get this wrong so often. But, But it's important that we don't just feel miserable about ourselves. We need to think why is it that we struggle to speak well? Actually, we've already seen hints of it throughout Proverbs with the importance of motivation, of why am I speaking this way? And that takes us a little bit south of the lips to the heart. So Proverbs 23, we read verse 15. My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad indeed. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Isn't that interesting? If your heart is wise when your lips speak what is right. And this is why we had the reading from Matthew. If you want to turn up that, we'll just close here. Page 978. 
page 978 and Matthew 12, verse 33. Jesus says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. The problem with my lips begins in my heart. But Jesus doesn't come just to expose that sinfulness. He doesn't come just to show me that the problem is not just learning to speak better. It's actually far deeper and more troublesome. Actually, on the cross, Jesus heard a word of judgment spoken against him. He was judged by God the Father. And he suffered that punishment in our place. He heard a word of condemnation because you and I have spoken words of gossip and filth and bitterness and anger. He suffered punishment for all the foolish, filthy, wicked, cussing, gossipy things we have done. And he took it that we might be forgiven and that our hearts might be changed. It's very interesting. When when Jesus uh, dies and he rises again and then pours out his spirit on his people, what is the first thing to change? Acts 2, it's their speech. The apostles spoke differently because the spirit had filled their hearts. And if you turn to Jesus for forgiveness, not only are you forgiven, do you enjoy forgiveness for the foolish, wicked ways we've used our mouths. But you also enjoy the hope that by his Holy Spirit, his transformation of your heart will start to impact the way you speak. We're no longer trapped in patterns of sinful, destructive speech. There is the power to change. So don't despair when you read the Bible's wisdom for speech. Turn to Christ for forgiveness. Cry out to his Spirit for change. And he will answer that prayer. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you that you love us enough to tell us how to live wisely and well in this world. Father, forgive us for the foolish ways we've used our mouths. Forgive us for the hurtful ways, the evil ways, the destructive ways we have spoken. Help us, we pray, to use these wonderful, wonderful gifts of speech in ways which build up and help and heal. In your son's name we pray. Amen.